the brilliant part of, of creating habits and creating more habits and, and like stacking them into a routine is it actually conserves brain power. When you can conserve brain power, because you're because again, you're when you have a routine, that's like automation. You have now automated what you're doing during those routines. And we'll all come back to that here in a second. But once you have your routine, you're conserving your brain power. And what that allows you to do is conserve the brain power for the non-routine times of the day, which actually allows you to be more productive in those non-routine times. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a profitable lifestyle and automation expert who has turned the adversity of melanoma cancer, being hit by a drunk driver, and going through divorce into an opportunity to bring more time, money, and happiness to her clients. Her education includes a Bachelor's of Computer Science minoring in Mathematics at the University of Nevada, Reno, and a Master's of Computer Science in Artificial Intelligence involving analysis of algorithms and psychology at the University of California, Davis. Our guest is the president of Jalen Consulting, the owner of the Memory Journalists, and founder and CEO of Time, Money, and Happiness Matters. She focuses on intentional living with a profitable lifestyle formula, utilizing tiny habits, helping CEOs overcome entrepreneurial burnout and unstable lead and revenue generation. I'm pleased to introduce you to a courageous coach who lives on a small chicken farm, tells you like it is, and has a passion for photography, Jennifer Dunham. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> you, you have a real passion for making a difference in people's lives. What was life like for you growing up as a child and who made a real difference in your life in those formative years? Um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town, small towns all around um, growing up, and I was always heavily involved in, in school. And I attribute that um, quite a bit to my grandfather because he was someone who went back um, to get his graduate degree like after his kids were grown and he had grandkids and um, and he went back to school and he was just always such a huge proponent of education. Um, and I think that really made me kind of, you know, want to want to make him proud, so to speak. And so I was really always just involved in every aspect of school. And to be quite honest, if I could be a, um, a full-time student for the rest of my life and actually make, uh, make some uh, income from it, I probably would because I love learning and I love the learning process. So I just, I just dove in and, and got involved in almost everything. So talking about learning, what was the drive and purpose behind studying computer science? Well, it's it's actually an accident because, um, you know, growing growing up in a small town, you know, we didn't necessarily have the 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 you know maybe some of the bigger town, the bigger city computer science programs that they would have in in middle school or high school, 
And I had a little bit of computer science um, background in in high school. I, you know, I, I graduated valedictorian. I had all this experience as far as like I just loved every subject is the problem, and that and, and it actually can be very pro- problematic when you're when you're multi passionate about many things. It's very difficult to pick something. So I, I and I actually think that's a almost a detriment to people going into colleges when they have to like declare a major. Because I had to, on the day that I was signing up for courses um, for the first year in my undergraduate program, I had to pick something. I had to check a box. And I thought, mm, computer science sounds good. I was always, you know, I'm really good at math. I loved math. I love sciences. And I thought, well, we'll just give it a whirl. And I just checked the box. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a, you know, just to throw it out there, I'll tick that box and away we go. So how did you use that knowledge and expertise in your early career? You know, um, it was it was really funny because I was able to to, to after you know I went to, to undergrad and then I went on to grad school, um, and going to in, into grad school allowed me to to make some connections with I, I my thesis was involved with the Department of Defense and. Uh, a NASA contract of all things, because it was involving some artificial intelligence projects. And it, it was really fascinating to me, the people that I met at grad school, because it allowed me to kind of, I guess, just open up doors and and take the consulting aspect of it to a, a, a new level. I, I didn't really even, hadn't even thought about taking it to the consulting level. And when I came out of grad school, uh, I went, uh, I I originally started as an employee of, um, you know, like one of the big six firms. I think they're down to big four now. But um, I went on and was an employee for several years. And then that is when at that at that particular time is right around when, like, I call it my bad summer hit. (laughs) And that was when I went through um, being hit by a drunk driver, being um going through a divorce with my first husband and then, and then being diagnosed with, with cancer all within the span of three months. And, and that was, and I was relatively young um, when I went through that. And, and it was, I I call it the, the, my bad summer of turning 30. (laughs) Um, So I had all three of those things happen. And then with where I was at in my career, that is when I finally made the decision to leap into um, like that entrepreneurial world, if you will. And that's when I created my own consulting company. And and a lot of that has to do with meeting my second husband. Okay, we'll just go back a little step there because there was a lot to unpack in that, uh, in that <laughs> yes, answer. <there> was. <laughs> so having a, you know, obviously a love for nature has can sometimes have those downsides in, you know, when you when did you realize you had that melanoma cancer? And how did that change your approach to life? You know, um, it was very quick. I, I went, um, I, I actually was out water skiing of all things. I was always very active, um, bike riding, water skiing and, and doing all these activities and, um, water skiing being a big one. And I remember a family member just making a comment, um, to me about this, this spot that I had on my back. 
and they thought, mm, that's kind of a large, you know, freckle, if you will. And I thought, well, okay, well, I'll go to, I'll go get it checked out. And I went to the doctor's office and I remember at the time, my first husband and I were already kind of having some issues. He wasn't even with me when I was diagnosed. He was off on a project, um, um, overseas. And when I was sitting in the doctor's office, I remember him coming in and telling me that if he had his surgery room available, that he would take me in there today. Um, because of the, the size and, and it, it was something I didn't know. And, and if anything, I hope all your listeners take note of this because I know a lot of people that think, you know, like freckles or, or skin cancer is, you know, maybe not a big deal, but, um, it really is really important to pay attention to the changes of your skin. And I thought it was nothing because it was flat. You know, I, I, you know, dumbly thought that, oh, it has to be a, a, a raised, um, you know, wart or freckle or whatever you want to call it, because I thought mm, this, this can't possibly be a problem with this. But he diagnosed it with cancer, ended up having to go um, back in three times to get far enough down, um, like three levels of stitches. Um, I was lucky enough that it was caught early, very early, um, and I did not have to do chemo or any any other treatments and then of course I've just been checked um, every six months it started out on a three-month program but then three months and then six months and and now I've worked up to a year and I've had other you know spots and things taken that were suspicious but have not been re-diagnosed with melanoma and my my grandfather had melanoma as well so it, it ran in our family and so now it's just something that I'm just a, a big advocate of is is wearing sunscreen. I'm, I'm about as pale as they come. <laughs> and, um, you know, I wear a hat and I just, I think that, you know, people sometimes don't pay, pay enough attention to being out in the sun. So it must have been, you know, obviously a very incredibly challenging time for you. What effects did that have on your social networks and relationships around that time? Obviously, you know, you were already going through the early phases of that divorce and then things weren't going so yeah. well. So how did that change? You know, I thought it would um, change my life tenfold. Um, you know, and at first I think I felt like it did. And it wasn't until later in life, um, which we'll get to, but it wasn't until later in life that I realized why the permanent changes that I wanted to make didn't didn't stick. You know, I really wanted to live my life more fully. I wanted to live with more intention. I wanted to, you know, live as if every day was your last. That was a mantra my mom always said when we were growing up as kids. And I, I really did make that shift for a while, but then I kind of went back into old patterns and 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 I really love what I do. I'm I'm I I know I have to be very careful as I run up against that edge of, of being a workaholic. And so I made some changes. And one of those things that I sat there um, when I first had right before going into the doctor's office and I was thinking, what happens if I'm diagnosed and told that I have, you know, a year to live? And I, and I truly think everyone should journal this question um, because I think it makes a big difference on how you make decisions on how you live your life. Um, if you were given one year to live, what would you do? Um, and it was a great exercise for me to go through and to write out. I, I remember sitting at a restaurant by myself um, and just going through this exercise before I'd gone into the doctor's office later on that day. And for me, it was, you know, there's you you can't put off. If, 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 you, if you know in your gut and your intuition is telling you that, you know, for example, with me staying with my first husband, 
if it wasn't the right thing, then you have to make the decision. The hard decisions still have to be made in order to, to live your life. And so that was one of the lessons that I had learned and, and how it impacted my life. Cause I'm not sure I would have, you know, maybe had gone through that divorce when I did. I'm sure at some point, I think it probably would have been inevitable, but, um, I think it really made me see that you, there is no turning back. You, you really don't know when your day is going to come. And so I, I really started, that's where I think the probably the first throes of wanting to really live intentionally came from was, was being diagno- by, diagnosed with cancer. However, like I said, I, those changes didn't stick. And I feel like I kind of went back into old patterns, into old ways. And I mean, I, I, I went into the, you know, I met my second husband and, um, you know, things, he's the one that, like I said, kind of, um, had inspired me to kind of become an entrepreneur, create my own IT firm, um, create a photography studio. And at some point, you know, we started to go through some of those similar problems that I had gone through before where he was complaining I was working too much. And, um, he also wasn't happy with where we were living. And it was this, this, this vicious cycle. And it made me, you know, there was some other, I don't want to jump ahead too far if you have some additional questions, but there was definitely some, um, a a different pivotal moment. I think we have these pivotal moments in our lives that make us make a decision. And one thing that I teach my clients is a yes or a no, um, will take you down a certain path, but not making a decision is, is also still a decision. So before we move on, I think it would be a good idea to explain what your business is. So how would you explain (laughs) your business to someone standing in line ready to order dinner? Sure, sure. Well, you know, when um, you sometimes get to the end of your day and you look back on it and you wonder, what the heck did I do all day? I know I was working hard. I got a bunch of stuff done, but you're not quite sure what that is. (laughs) (laughs) That is what I help, um, you know, really successful entrepreneurs do is to figure out what is it that they want to work on, what is it that they love working on, and how to be more profitable with their time. And the reason that I love doing that, of course, is, you know, I feel like I was my own client at some point in my life because I had to reevaluate how was I using my time because it impacted my happiness. And the the hard reality is that there's there is this relationship between time and money. So what I help people do is figure out how they want to live their lives, how they want to run their business and make it so that they can be happy while they're doing both things because a a profitable lifestyle, my definition of a profitable lifestyle is your your personal life and your business combined. And and part of that reality is that you still want to be able to go home and have dinner with the family. For sure. I, I like that approach there. We see many people fall into and become trapped in a world of mediocrity. Why do you think this occurs? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with because people don't know how to make a change. They don't know. They know that it's mediocre, but they don't know how to make the next step to make it better. And and that's why I, I love the fact that I've, I've kind of always, and it's funny how I I used to think I had to run away from my IT background. I, when I first created, uh, time, money and happiness matters, it it was coming off of the the cusp of, of working too much and feeling like, well, if I'm going to launch this new business, I have to, you know, 
not run this other piece of my life. And the one thing that I realized was it all was part of what I'm now able to do with my clients. All the the things I learned as far as artificial intelligence and how the brain works is very much what I do with helping people create the habits, the routines, and and being able to do some habit stacking in order to make changes. So if you want to get out of mediocrity, you have to make a change. And it's not going to necessarily happen overnight, but you have to commit to it. The, The hard part is making it stick. Okay, let's dive into habit stacking there because that sparked my curiosity a little bit. Can you explain a little bit more around what habit stacking is and how does it work effectively for people? Sure, sure. So there's many, many different habit strategies and everybody has their own different learning mechanism as far as what works. And I remember reading a book very early on, probably when it first came out, and it was this book, uh, well, I've read several books by Gretchen Rubin. She wrote The Happiness Project, and then she wrote um, The Four Tendencies, and she's she talks about um, habit tendencies. And of course, there's a bunch of many other habit books out there. And one of the things that I realized was, for me... Um, some of the normal habit strategies just didn't work. And then I met um, Dr. B.J. Fogg. He's out of Stanford University. And he came up with this idea of, of tiny habits. And tiny habits is such a simple mechanism in order to make a habit stick. The problem that people do, and like, for example, New Year's resolutions, when you talk about people who want to lose weight or start working out more, you know, they 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 make the commitment of, oh, I'm going to go from I'm not working out at all to I'm going to start doing seven days a week at 30 minutes a day. And, and, and they're setting themselves up to fail because it's a big shift from what they were used to doing. And so one of the tactics that I that I use to teach not only happiness habits, but but also when it comes to, um, you know, making your business more profitable is based on tiny habits. It's 60 seconds of an action that takes the least amount of motivation for you to actually take that step forward. And it's it's something that there's a formula to a tiny habit to make it actually stick. And, and part of that is once you have one habit in place, you can stack another habit on top of it. But you can't form a new habit onto like you can't completely, you know, go from um, creating a, a brand new morning routine where absolutely everything is new because everything isn't solidified yet. But if you can latch on to something that you're already doing and create a brand new tiny habit, you've now just habit stacked. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Now, because when most people obviously set goals and try and form habits around those goals, it's normally really big, right? So you can't, it's, it's very difficult to stack a big habit on top of another big habit. It, it's, right. it's not going to end well. So I really like this sort of 60 second type habit. So for you, uh, what what were some of the first sort of tiny habits that you would start stacking together to get yourself moving in the right direction? Well, one of the things that um, I like to to share with my clients is that I truly think that you can be happier in less than five minutes a day. If if you can start to automate by putting, first of all, a habit allows you to automate your thinking. Um, We repeat about 40% on average, give or take, of what we do every single day. 
you know, your morning routine, your evening routine, like your, your eating habits, there's 40% of what we do every day is, is something we repeat. The brilliant part of, of creating habits and creating more habits and you know, like stacking them into a routine is it actually conserves brain power. When you can conserve brain power, because you're, because again, you're, when you have a routine, that's like automation. You have now automated what you're doing during those routines. And we'll all come back to that here in a second. But once you have your routine, you're conserving your brain power. And what that allows you to do is conserve the brain power for the non-routine times of the day, which actually allows you to be more productive in those non-routine times. Okay, that's important. So 40% of the time we are in informed habits and kind of the rest of the time we're forming new habits or, or trying or doing new things that require a lot of brain power. Yeah. And so how does that work when we tie that into the profitable lifestyle formula? I created this when we first moved out um, to the chicken farm that we're at my life completely shifted over. I mean, it was almost overnight. I kid you not because I was, you know, I would sit outside, I would, um, drink coffee with the chickens. I was being outside. I was, um, unconsciously doing some things that I, I hadn't analyzed what it was that I was doing, but all of a sudden, you know, my relationship with my then second husband, um, I'm still married to him. Um, my second husband and I like, it was just, it was better. I was happier. My businesses started to take off. I mean, like just like different ways. It was amazing. And my friends, family, colleagues were like, Jennifer, what are you growing on your farm? And I'm like, <laughs> it was kind of like the big joke. And I'm like, it's not what you think. Um, and so then I, re you know, my computer science brain was like, well, okay, so what is it that I'm really doing that's so different? Because it's apparently noticeable. So I reverse engineered um, what I was doing and came up with this idea of pro this profitable lifestyle formula, which is time times money times reach. And again, this, this applies very much into the entrepreneurial space where um, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. You money as far as you can put more, more money in the bank and the amount of reach that you have that like the number of clients, the number of, you know, leads in your, in your sales pipeline, et cetera. Those three components is kind of the base of my profitable lifestyle formula and that the exponential component of this formula and my mathematical brain is literally putting this into a formula is happiness and impact. And most people think that happiness is a byproduct or an end result. So I will be happy after I lose 10 pounds or I'll be happy, you know, after I get that promotion, I'll be, I'll be happy after I find the right relationship. Um, instead of thinking of let, I'm going to be happy and then I'm going to get the promotion. You know, I'm going to be happy and it's going to help me lose the 10 pounds. No one ever thinks of it as the ingredient going in. So one of the things that I started, I was unconsciously doing at the time was I had these little happiness habits. And, and that's why I teach that you can be happier in five minutes a day or less. It's really these 60 second tiny habits that I interspersed throughout the enti my entire day unconsciously. Now I'm doing it consciously um, where it's elevating my happiness in an automated fashion every single day. Very, very clever. I believe you're known for having no holds barred conversations with your clients. What do you think is 
important to have the, why do you think it's important to have those tough decisions and create kind of a shock to disrupt their current habits? Yeah, I, you know, the reason that I say that is because, you know, I really truly feel like I don't have a single minute to waste. And, um, you know, I'm, and of course, you know, I, with my IT firm, I work in the government space. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be politically correct. I can speak when I should and not when I shouldn't and all these kind of things when I'm in meetings. Um, however, you know, in the, in the arena of time, money and happiness matters where I'm really working more in the entrepreneurial space, you know, I just really feel like some, sometimes people need the push and sometimes they need the, um, permission in order to make a leap of faith. And it's not always easy for everyone to to start putting these tiny habits in place. Sometimes they just need someone else to show them that these are the types of examples of things that you can do and, and that consistency. And that's what I love about habits is the consistency of action is actually putting, I mean, you're putting yourself in motion. When you, when you can take, I always tell people, stand up, and try and move like if two feet if you're two feet are on the ground i want you to move left and it's impossible but if you stand up and you put your one foot up as if you're going to take a step forward and at the last minute i tell you turn right you can do so so you you can't change your life if you're standing still hmm i i think you know for a lot of people there obviously they they get stuck. It, it's so easy to be that internal routine that everything's going smooth, but it is that it's that someone external. It's that external pressure that helps create that change and allow them to either go to something better or go to something worse. But hopefully, it's in that better mode by someone guiding them in the right direction. Sometimes we, we see a lot of people who just who are afraid to take that jump or afraid to allow someone to come in and be involved in their life. Is that what you see as well? Yeah, I think one of the things that you just said, um, which I, you know, like people are afraid if they they take action, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. That And one of the things that I, it's a big mantra of mine is that failure is awesome. And when I when I first start working with people, I find that, like you just said, that they're kind of afraid to to get out there and to, to take those actions and maybe to even work with someone that might push them a little bit outside of their comfort zone. And if you can embrace the idea that failure is awesome, and I and I tell people to put a post-it note up on their bathroom mirror, and and to really embrace this idea that failure is awesome, because unless you fail, you can't learn. And when you start there, there's part of the tiny habit um, process is you know you you have your 60 second habit, and whether you complete it or not, you should celebrate the win. So in other words. Um, like as an example, let's just, let's use the example of someone who would like to start exercising more in the morning. And the tiny habit may very well be to sit on the exercise bike. Not necessarily to put their feet in it and to pedal, but to sit on the bike. That's it. So maybe one morning they sit on the bike and they thought, yeah, I'm not in the mood. And they get off. The important thing is to celebrate the win that they actually sat on the bike. Because mentally, your, your brains are, are connecting this, this positivity that says, I did it. So the next day, you might sit on the bike, and you might start pedaling. And you might pedal for that 60 seconds, and that's great. But, you know, the, the part that people start to see once they get, in, they get into this idea of tiny habits is that once you're there and once you're doing 60 seconds, well, you know what, I'll do a couple more minutes. 
And then it turns into a bigger habit. Yeah, it's just about getting started, right? So that first tiny yeah. habit is just to get you started. Yeah. So what do you think are the key habits which deliver high performance? Well, I, I do think, you know, incorporating happiness habits um, into your daily life. Um, and one of the exercises that I share is incorporating happiness habits that at least one of them at some point in the day is to come back and embrace your five senses. Um, that the idea of, of taste and smell and sight and sound where you can for 60 seconds. And, and the example that I, I like to use is, you know, whether you drink coffee, whether you drink tea, um, you know, make it a ritual to where you that first sip that you truly savor, like you feel the warmth of the cup, you know, you smell, you smell the tea or the coffee. Um, maybe you close your eyes and just like, really just smell the coffee, open up the window, open up the door. If there's birds, you know, like for me living out on the farm, you know, I can hear the birds singing. If it's down in the city, then just listen to the sounds. But for 60 seconds a day, you know, at least embrace every sense one time a day. So many people finish their day with their brains active, scattered, and oftentimes fried. What are some useful tips to ensure that people have freed their mind before going to sleep? And I think it ties into uh, what you were just talking about there. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the one of the exercises that I have just started doing, and, and I've done it for years, um, and I, I call it a brain dump. <laughs> <laughs> um, is to you know keep a, a a notebook or something at the the bedside table if necessary or you know I tend to have notebooks all over the place, but in particular for this like shutting down like to really let the mind go, is to just write out absolutely everything that is running through your brain. So before um, you turn the light off at night, is to you know we we might be thinking about the grocery list. We might be thinking about, did I, you know, take the trash out if it's trash day? I mean, there's so many things that it's, it's funny what, what our brain latches onto and we just keep thinking about. It could be about the project uh, presentation that you have to do the next day, but anything and everything that you're thinking about, just to dump it out onto the paper, because then at least you're giving yourself permission that you're not going to forget about it. And, and that tends to free up your brain for, for better sleep and to just feel this sense of relief. So tying into this kind of brain dumping and releasing, what triggers should people be aware of to ensure that they have enough rest and recovery in their lives and aren't burning themselves out every day? You know, I uh, it's it's kind of a controversial topic. I know a lot of people like to say that balance is, doesn't exist. Um, I I think it can, um, but I but I do think people need to recognize that that balance is unique to each person. Um, some people are are able to rejuvenate much faster with less downtime than other people, and it's it's a matter of, of figuring out what that balance is for you. And being able to then um, figure out the routines that are necessary for you to actually respect that balance. So if if you're someone that needs a little bit longer of some downtime in the evening, then you know by creating the habits and, and this this idea of your evening shutdown routine, um, it allows your body to to be signaled that you're that you're shutting down for the evening, and, and it could be a a two hour process. 
Um, and it could be a four hour process and it's really a matter of figuring out what it is that you need and then, and then respecting what that is and, and then creating the necessary steps in the, in your routine in order to make that happen. So what type of routine do you have that allows you to live an active and healthy lifestyle? Um, well, I do have, um, I've, I've probably at least, you know, I always tell people that you should have at least four routines. I have my morning routine, um, and a, a lot of that has to do with going down and, and, like I said, having a little coffee with the chickens. And um, I have a business startup routine. I have a business close-down routine, and then I have my personal close-down routine. Now, I always like to incorporate, um, again, some of the small things that I incorporate, like when I first come in the door of, of – you know, hugging my husband and taking a few minutes of, of conversation time with my husband when I first walk in the door, um, as well as my animals, my pets. I actually have a garden. Um, I do a lot of gardening here. So for me, getting out, nature is a big uh, grounding point for me. And I think that's, if if any if everyone can find what their grounding point is, and it might be different for, for everyone, but my grounding point is nature. So for me to recharge every day, I don't need a lot of time outside, but I need some outside time. I, I need to be able to just, you know, sit and enjoy the, the quiet. Um, and again, some people like the noise. So again, embrace what it is that you need and, but know what it is that you need and actually do it. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. <laughs> when was the last time you did something for the first time? You know, um, I'm I'm not as a super, of course, because you're talking to someone who's talking about habits and structure and routine, um, which I do think that's with structure you get more freedom. But I did make a very spontaneous decision recently, which was um, in in March, where within the span of two weeks I made a decision and and that I really wanted to invest in a particular conference that I wanted to attend, and. I just made the decision to do it and it's not normally my what I would do because it was halfway across the world and it was in Australia. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm actually coming to Australia four times this year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was spontaneous. It was like I made the decision and I had to fly two weeks later. Love it. Love it. Nothing yep. like being decisive and making a decision. Yep. What, what yep. is what is the one question that you would love to solve? Um, you know, I think one of the things that uh, I'm a big proponent of is, you know, giving access to education. I'm also a, a believer that it, it should still be fair. And I think if there was a way that you can figure out a system where if people truly wanted to go to college and to get that education, that, that foundation that I found so important, that my grandfather found so important. Um, and it's one of the things that with Time, Money, and Happiness Matters is, is I'm setting up scholarships here um, locally, is to be able to answer the question, how can people who truly want to go to school be able to go to school and not have to worry about it? Well, I like that one. It's that uh, ability to open up and allow people to learn and chase their dreams. Yep. How do you know when you're in a peak state of mind? You know, for me, I think it's just that I just, I just jam. <laughs> like it just, everything flows. 
And I'm just, you know, the creativity is off the charts. I know that, um, like I can wake up and and know that it's going to be a day like, like that, because I think I will have had quite a few dreams. I, I, I tend to remember my dreams when I wake up on, on a day that I can just tell this is going to be like a wonderfully amazing, everything is going to like the stars are aligned and everything's going to (laughs) happen. So how can people, you know, obviously you're giving some great insights here into habits and how important they are and especially these little tiny habits. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Sure, sure. Well, you can find me on my website, which is happinessmatters.com. And on on the main page of the website is where you can find all the links to my social media, LinkedIn and Um, I I tend to be a lot on Instagram. In fact, I started Time, Money, and Happiness Matters actually started as a health and wellness blog. Um, So I was a blogger for a very long time. So I actually kind of have a hefty presence on Pinterest of all places. Um, And then, um, of course, you know, you can reach out to me anytime and, and book a call with me if people are interested. Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I've thoroughly enjoyed your approach to not going for those big, big atomic or huge type habits and goals. It's all about the tiny habits. It's all about making those small differences in your life that become routine that make it easier for you to free up time. I, you obviously been through a lot of adversity, but you're able to channel that and you're able to find what works for you and then understand how that can help other people move forward and be a lot more effective with their time. You've over, overcoming those challenges, I can see that you are very determined in what you want to do and your purpose is much bigger than yourself. It's, it's a world thing. It is around how can we ensure that people live healthier lives, are happier more often, and their mindsets are, are free to really enjoy the present moment. Um, and I really thank you for, for sharing your courage, wisdom, and belief with us today on the Active CEO Podcast. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. This week's Active CEO performance tip is performance by design. Your performance should not occur by accident. The environment you and your team work in should be carefully engineered and positioned so that performance is enabled and not forced. Think carefully about how you design a project, program, or an event and ensure that you are not forcing performance. Establish key actions or opportunities that allow the team members to discover performance and shine by themselves or, more importantly, together as a collective. This is so important for long-term growth and development of not only the individual, but most importantly, the team. So think about how you curate your performance. It's performance by design. Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.